So what is an adversary? The word literally means to turn. It is Satan's equivalent of repentance. See, when we get saved, we have to do what? Repent. Right? When an adversary shows up where you're facing adverse situations, it means to turn also. So we have two words that carry the same meaning. One has a positive connotation and the other one has a negative connotation. So when adversity appears in your life, it's an evangelistic tool of Satan. And you got to understand that. Because what was he trying to do with Job? Trying to get Job to say something that was in alignment with Satan's gospel as opposed to something that was in alignment with the word of God. So all the adversity is designed to do is to get you to turn. It tests what you believe. It tests what God says about you. And the interesting thing is it's on display. If we go to Job chapter 1, verse 1. And I love this because, you know, Job is actually the oldest book in the Bible. Many scholars believe that Moses wrote the book of Job. So he wrote Job before he wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You know, we think those five were the cornerstone of the Bible, but this is the oldest recorded text of all the texts in the collection that we call the Bible. This this is God talking about Job. Sometimes, you know, when we go to look for a job, we got to write a resume or a CV, they call it nowadays. And it says, you know, I went to school here. I worked here from this time to this time. And then it lists some of our accolades. Well, God wrote Job's resume, and this is what God said about Job. Because you need to understand, this is not what Job said about Job. This is what God said about Job. Right? Now, funny thing about God is, you either believe what he says or you don't. And that's what gets, that's what gets tested in an adversarial situation. Every adversary is not an enemy, but every enemy is certainly an adversary. And he's trying to get you. He's courting you. He is trying to witness to you. Those are the terms that we use. He's doing the same thing. Trying to get you to join his community. But this is what God says about Job. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. That man was a blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. That's how God viewed Job to the point where he decided to put it in print for all eternity. Sometimes we think when an adversary shows up or adverse circumstances shows up, first thing we do is say, what do we do wrong? Yeah. 
this man. And the funny thing is, is because of our religious culture, we always associate Job with pain and suffering. But we need to change that association. This guy, we, we never say that he was a perfect and an upright man. He was blameless and he eschewed evil. In his community, well, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get, we'll get to the point of his community, right? But God said that the man was blameless. He was upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. And how did this guy end up being associated with suffering? See, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, so he becomes. So those thoughts, seasons, the expressions, and the outflows of his life. And those are the things that frame your world. So if you have wrong association with adversity, you'll frame your world into suffering. And that's not why Job is in the book. See, I I like God. I, I like how God thinks, and I'm learning to think like God. And so God says, before anything can begin, its end has to be established. And so contained in your end is your beginning, and your beginning will never begin until your end is solidified. That's a powerful statement, because even though the adversary... The one who was witnessing to my brother was trying to make him turn, right? His end is already established. Falling off the ladder doesn't change his end. His purpose is the same. He just gets another story to tell on the way to fulfilling his purpose. Why? Because his purpose was set way back here. Way before Satan, way before Lucifer became Satan, his purpose was set. And there's nothing that Satan can do to alter that. The whole destiny rests with my brother. Your destiny rests with you. It doesn't matter what Satan does to you. The choice is yours. And so just because the enemy got permission Right? Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, Jesus had just, he, had, he, he was talking to his team. And he told us, he told Peter, he said, Satan has desired and requested permission of you to sift you like wheat. Right? He had to get permission to sift him like wheat. It was a specific request. You understand? He just didn't have carte blanche. It was a specific request. And the word sift means to riddle. It means to play games with your mind. So that when you see the things that the adversary puts in your way to cause you to turn, it's just things to play with your mind. You've got a decision to make. Right? 
Here's what I love about God. Because the end was established, let's look at the end of Job's life. If you want, because we have the benefit of the book, we should look, when we're studying these stories, many times we start at the, the beginning of the story. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, right? But how God taught me to study his ways when I'm actually not just reading, but I'm researching and I'm studying a subject, is to go to the end. What happened at the end? Because that's what I wanted. He, want, he didn't want suffering for Job. That's not what God wanted. Here's what he wanted, right? So you have to go to chapter 42. That's the last chapter in the book, right? Let's see. Then you got to understand, right? Job is the most significant representative of God in his land. That's how significant he is. And let's see what God wanted to do for the most significant mouthpiece in his land. Chapter 42 says says this, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do all things. That was something that God needed to get across to Job. Job apparently didn't have that before. Whatever it was that he said and thought of God, there was a question mark about what God could do. But after the event, it was settled. He, He said, look, there's nothing you can do. I know that now. That was one of the things, that was one of the things God was trying to get across to him, right? But the way we look at the story, we think it's all about suffering. It's not about suffering. It's about the revelation of God that comes so that when you go through your adversarial attack, you walk away with something about God in you that's settled, And because it's settled, it's established. When it gets established in you, you'll speak it out anywhere and everywhere. And Job is saying, I know now. Daniel, Daniel had this guy, right? And it's amazing to be a captive and love the king that killed your relatives, killed your friends, Took your land into captivity. But Daniel loved Nebuchadnezzar. He had these dreams. One of the dreams that he had was he said, you know, there was a, a this series of words. Daniel interpreted the dream for time's sake. I don't want to go into the dream. But the, the thing is, There was a series of words, and Daniel said, when you say these words, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to lose your mind for seven years. You're going to run around like a beast on all fours. Your hair is going to grow out like you could be the werewolf man. You know what I'm saying? And then one day, one day, the king walked out on his balcony, and he said, look what I did. Lost his mind. Right? Now it's amazing. Kingdoms are interesting things because somebody is always in waiting to take your place. And in some kingdoms, they'll kill you to take that spot. Now, but when this guy lost his mind, they apparently kept track of him for these seven years. They were aware of Daniel's words. And so 
there was a prince who stepped up who ran the kingdom for these seven years. So now let's fast forward to six years, 353 days. The clock rolls over. Daniel knows it's seven years. Daniel goes and they go find Nebuchadnezzar. The revelation that Nebuchadnezzar got, he, this is what he said. He said the same thing that Job said. He said, now I know. to understand. Nebuchadnezzar started out with a whole list of gods. When they took those Hebrews in and the first thing was he, he had a parade, what we would call a parade, a big festival. And he wanted to put his statue on display. God knows how to disrupt your party. Because on the most important day on the calendar for those guys was a day that they were supposed to celebrate the statue, and God decided, I'm going to talk to the nation. He had all, he had representatives of all his captive nations there. And these characters are in the fire, and they're not burning. How many know if you throw somebody in the fire, and they don't burn, you get them out, they don't even smell like smoke. How many know that would disrupt your party? So then what he said was, I'm going to put the Hebrews God on the bottom of the list. At least God got added to the list. Another miracle happened. He put him at the top of the list. But when he got his mind back, he said, eliminate the list. There's only one God. He said, now I know. You understand? The enemy, the adversary was trying to cause Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to convert. And they said, I refuse to partake of the meat of this stuff. I'm going to stick with the diet that has kept my people for generations. And I'm going to prove to you that my diet from my God is what is able to sustain me. I'm telling you, let there be light is the diet that you need to feast on. Here is where you get into the word of God and you get it into you so much so that it just oozes out of you. Somebody bumps against you and they get healed. Like Peter and Paul, them guys are walking down the street and their shadow healed people. Why? Because they were just full of God. The more they persecuted them, the more they prospered and grew. Next thing, he says, I know that thou canst do all things and that no purpose of thine is thwarted. Those are the first two things that Job came to realize. Brother, I'm telling you, your purpose is not thwarted by this. This just enhances your purpose. And I'm telling you, your purpose is not thwarted by this. This should just cause your, however you, you focus, you should focus more on your purpose more so than anything. You understand? That's what God, that's just one of the things, two of the things that God was trying to get over to him. Without what you read, you read the list, right? We all know he got double. And, and we say this because it's, it rhymes, it's alliteration. He got double for his trouble. 
The book says don't use vain words. What's a vain word? It's an unemployed word. It just falls to the ground. He didn't get double for his trouble. He got double because that was his purpose. And he had nothing to do with the trouble that he went through. Had he not gone through that trouble, his purpose dictated he would have still gotten what he got. This man is on the earth the same time as Abram. And we as Christians talk about the blessing of Abram. The blessing of Abram wasn't in his wealth. It was in the lineage. What would come out of his lineage? Because this man had twice as much at a minimum than Abram. Abram couldn't touch his wealth. Job started off richer than anybody else in, in the region. And after walking through an adversarial assault, God's purpose, one of the things that God purpose, remember, God starts at the end. God was trying to get him to a certain place of wealth. Because with his wealth, how he used his wealth, came his influence. Let's look at his influence, why that was important to God. Let's go to the 29th chapter of Job. This is amazing. You see, if I was writing the story of Job, I would have started here. But most people don't even read the book of Job. They just retell the story that somebody told them about Job. Listen to who Job was, right? Dr. Miles' definition for effective leadership was the capacity to influence others through inspiration, generated by passion, motivated by vision, birthed by a conviction, and produced by a purpose. This man had all of that. And we see in the 29th chapter that his effective leadership on display, and this is what it produced. It says, and Job again took up his discourse and said, oh, that I were as in months gone by. He's reflecting back now. Right? We see Job 1, chapter 1, when the assault begins. But he's taking us back into his life. Actually, he says in this chapter, he says, in the, when I was in the prime of my life, or at least what he thought was the prime of his life at that time. He says, as in the days when God watched over me. So I could camp right there. Many times when the adversary shows up and he gets authorization to do something, we don't feel like God is watching. You know, we feel like God said, hot chew, and in that blink, you know, the devil slipped in. Or God got distracted and he turned his head a minute and the devil slipped in. Right? Job is saying, I know God watches over me. This is how he communicates salvation. He is never out of the presence of God. Don't let your emotions tell you that you're ever out of the presence of God. He, this thing was settled in him. Falling off the ladder, he's still in the presence of God. Hitting the ground, he's still in the presence of God. Bone shattering, he's still in the presence of God. He's never out of the presence of God. You are never out of the presence of God. When his lamp shone over my head, 
And by his light I walk through darkness. Again, this, is, this is, has nothing to do with illumination and no light. This has to do with the revelation of God. He's walking through life with the revelation of God. There's a spot in Job that helped me to understand my gift. It says there is a candle. It says there's a light in man, the candle of the almighty, and it is what gives him understanding. I was trying, when I started walking with God, I was trying to figure out how do I know what I know and why do I know what I know and how can I articulate what I know the way I articulate what I know. And I remember asking Dr. Miles Monroe that question because his gift was similar to mine. That's the only question I've seen him ever struggle with. And so I kept searching and I ran across that verse in Job. And it answered and settled the question. I don't even wonder now, why? I know what I don't know. I did a marketplace conference one time. And I had finished all my sessions. And there was a guy from England who was speaking after me. So I was taking my stuff up to my room. And I was going to go back down to listen to Richard. And I put my stuff in, in, in my room. And I hear this buzzing sound like bzz, Just like a fly. But in that was so much information about the marketplace. I just got finished teaching on the marketplace. Not that I didn't teach revelation, but I didn't touch what just got downloaded to me. And, and I said, let me see if this is right. Because it came with book, chapter, and verse. And I opened it, but the first verse in the list was Proverbs 1. And I turned to it and it says, wisdom cries in the marketplace. I had to sit down, right? See, because we think God's an American, right? Because <laughs> sometimes when God talks to you, you just need to stop and be still. Because if God's an American and the first place that God shows up is at church. Right? Come on. Now I'm at, I'm tilted. You know, you know how the old pinball machine games, you know, you do something and you make the game tilt. Well, I tilted because my belief system said that God always goes to church first. And Solomon, the wisest man on record next to Jesus Christ said, the first place you see wisdom is in the marketplace. I said, oh, come on, man. You know, and I'm, I'm like, you know, when, when that kind of light shows up, it changes you forever. Now I walk around and I look for God in the marketplace. Sometimes you find him in church. You know, I look for him in church too. I'm not always successful. But you can go to the marketplace and you can always find God. And that's amazing to me. And so then that causes us to rethink how God shows up. As I was in the prime of my days, verse 4, when the friendship of God was over my tent. You can read this. I want you to read this list later on, but I wanted to get to that particular verse, right? Because the Jews had the tent, the tabernacle, and the temple. Before any of those existed, God lived at Job's house. 
The friendship is the presence of God. God that's where, that's, if, John, if, if God had gotten stopped by the Delaware State Troopers and they asked to see his license, it would have said Job's house as his address. That's where he lived. Never out of his presence, no matter what an adversary does. And Job is reflecting back. I mean, you go on, if you read the list, he says things like, I took care of the widow. I took care of the orphan. People who couldn't defend themselves, I defended them. He said, I snatched to pray from, 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 from the adversary, the mouth of the adversary. All of these things he did, and now you know why Satan was after Job. All of the things that my brother and my sister have done have caused the enemy to come after them. Approaching the greatest thing you have ever done will draw out the greatest enemy you will ever face. But have no fear. The friendship of God is here. You understand? That's his history. That's why the enemy came after Job. Now let's look at his hedge. The Bible says this. For time's sake, I won't go there, but Genesis 1, or Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, I'm sorry. says that God created this place called the Garden of Eden. She was talking about study to show yourself approved. You need to know what words mean. Right? What's a garden? We think it's a place where, you know, we throw some seeds and put them in nice neat rows and we got all apple trees, we got all strawberry bushes, you know, we got all corn, and for us, that's a garden, right? I was, I was working with the client one day, and he's very religious about what he believes. It's hard to move him off his religion. His faith is strong. But sometimes he has faith in the wrong things. And I was talking to him about this verse in Genesis about the Garden of Eden. The word garden means a hedged place. So it's not what we think of at all. Now, once you have the place hedged, protected, you can put anything in there. You can put rows of, you know, apple trees and whatever. But the emphasis is not what's on inside. The emphasis is on the perimeter that establishes your protection. And God said, I created a perimeter that established a man's protection. Nothing came in or out unless I said so. Now, I did put some stuff in there for him to eat. He's got fruits and you know, he's got vegetables, right? But people that take the other position fail to realize 
He also put four rivers in there. He, he put, now this is in the man's garden. You know, he's got diamonds in there. Who, who don't like diamonds? There's gold in there. That's all in his garden. What's in your garden? God just happened to call it of Eden. Where he put the man. Now watch this. Right? Watch this. We're back at Job. Okay? I'm going to skip his inventory. Go down to verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before God. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is none like him on the earth. Remember, Abe's on the earth at the same time too. Abram, Abraham, father Abraham is on the earth at the same time. Melchizedek is on the earth at the same time. And God said, nobody like my man Job. For there is none, for there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Has thou not made a hedge about his life? I want to get him, but I can't get him. Because you got a garden around his life. And I can't get in to the garden. You understand? I learned, when, when, when that revelation came to me, I learned to pray this way for my family. God, keep the hedge raised. I don't need guns. I don't need armies. I just need a hedge. Because <laughs> ain't nothing going to get to me if it can't get through my hedge. God, God, what's the, the, the one verse that talks about? He says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And people stop there, but you need to understand why the weapons won't prosper. He said, because I created the smith that blows on the coals that creates the weapons. And no weapon formed against you shall prosper. He didn't give the man insight on anything that could penetrate his hedge. Let's skip over to chapter 2. Right? He kills on the first encounter. God lowered the hedge just a little. Right? He just brought it down some. When God lowered that hedge, what God exposed, right? Because, well, let me back up. Let me, let me not do that. Let me back up for a minute. Okay. Let me go back to chapter one. Hast thou not made a hedge about him and his house? All his stuff. So there's a hedge about 
the academy, the church, the college. What's the um, for-profit? What's the uh, community center? What is it? Faith Harvest Community Center. Harvest Community Center. There's a hedge around all that stuff. You understand? There's a hedge around all of that, right? And all that he has on every side, thou has blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Right? Now watch. But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he has and he will surely curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. See, the hedge lowered. All the while, every day, Satan goes around the earth walking, <laughs> looking for who he can get. And God said, hedges up on that guy. So there has to be a discussion, right? So the hedge is lowered to a particular point. So he lost his kids, right? Now, Abe had 319 men, I believe it was, that he had trained like in martial arts to do warfare. So these are the adult males that work in the field, around the house, take care of all his livestock and all that stuff. So if Abe had 319, Job had at least 320, right? Because he's the richest guy in the East, in, in all of the East. So that would be like what we call the Middle East, the Near East, and the Far East. Back then, it wasn't, it wasn't broken up like that. So in all of the East, this guy was the richest guy. So if Abe had 319, Job had at least 320. They're like family. They're not hired help. Those people's families lived on Job's land. Job provided well for those people. They were like family. So he didn't just lose 10 children. He lost hundreds of family members. Because God lowered the hedge. But that's all Satan could do. He could only touch his stuff. So he lost family. He lost extended family. And he lost all the camel, the oxen, and all that stuff, right? Now let's skip over to chapter 2, right? So they're having another board meeting in heaven. Satan shows up. We're at chapter 2, 3. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now sometimes we think, first question we think when an adversary shows up is what did I do wrong? And God is recommending Job because of everything he's done right. See, as we think in ourselves. You know, as, as we think in ourselves. We're looking for wrong and God is putting you on front street because of everything that you've done right. You know, he says... For there, is known, for there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth thy hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he would curse thee to thy face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. This next phrase is critically important. Right? He says, Behold, he's in your power. Only spare his life. 
What does that mean in English? That meant to Satan, no matter what happens, I got to keep Job alive. No, no matter what happens, I better make sure that this man survives my attack. God puts Satan in charge of keeping Job alive. See, the hedge came down, but the hedge wasn't obliterated. God determines what you face. Whatever happened, God lowered the hedge and said, that's okay because I know he's going to survive it. Who I've created you to be, you will overcome it. And it will become a testimony in your life. It will become a witness to those who you encounter because your destiny is already set. And this circumstance doesn't change his destiny. So what do we need to do when the adversary strikes? Be still and know God. It's not a time for being busy. When you get promoted, Bishop Hammond used to say it this way. He used to say new levels and new devils. And so you will encounter demonic opposition of a different power. See, even even in the rank of the adversary, there are, just like in, in the military, you know, you got, you know, I don't know military rank, but you know, you got privates and going up to captains and, you know, admirals and generals and so on and so forth, but there's a rank. And so when you get promoted, you're doing something that is significantly more potent and more powerful so the enemy has to assign resources to match what you're doing. That's why as you approach the greatest thing that you've ever done, it draws out the greatest enemy you will ever face. But have no fear. The presence of God is always here. Be still and know that God is God. What Habakkuk did was this. Habakkuk began to complain to God about the condition of Israel and what they weren't doing. Right? As a solution, God said, I'm going to get the Chaldeans to come and discipline the nation of Israel. Habakkuk said, tilt, wait a minute, you're a holy God. How, how, do, you, how do you mess with, how do you even entertain people like this? Then he said, you know what? He said, this is back chapter two, verse one. He said, I'm gonna have to go back to my spot. What's Eden? Eden is a spot for the moment where there's an open door into the presence of God and God puts you in that spot. <coughs> Excuse me. So Habakkuk said, I'm going back to my spot and I'm gonna see what he will say. You don't see what say. 
You hear what's saying. But that see is ra'ah. It's to see with the intelligence of God. You've got to get back to the place that God planted you and sit and wait for vision to crystallize. So you know exactly how to move forward in the season that you're in. And thirdly, you reestablish purpose. Just make sure you come back to purpose. Now he's forced to be still. You have to make a decision to be still. You're not going to hear God in the chatter. Elisha said he heard the earthquake and God wasn't in that. The wind, you know, hurricanes. He said God wasn't in that. And he said, but it was a still small voice. And the amazing thing about when you look that up, the small voice says it's thunder. (laughs) See, it may not sound thunderous outside, but it should be thunderous inside, even speaking as a still small voice. I love how, you know, God confirms things. You know, she did the, the ministry of dance before Pastor Ray spoke. And the emphasis of the song was, it's going to happen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? God orchestrates this stuff. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? But, but if you're busy, you'll miss what she said. You'll miss what he said. You'll miss what I said. And you'll be left to your own thoughts. But if you settle yourself, the end of the message was, you're going to make it. Job Job made it. And she started at the end before I could begin the beginning. And I just came right back to her end. You are going to make it. You are going to make it. You 